Hello, I'm Matt Carpenter, and this is the Good Life Podcast. Hello, this is Matt Carpenter, and this is the Good Life Podcast. I am thankful today to have the opportunity to interview Ryan Anderson. Ryan is a writer, and he has he has a, a wonderful story about his you know the the way that his life has moved over the last several months. So, Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. So, I first came across your work when I was reading on, on Twitter. I uh, I, I lurk on that website. I, I don't <laughs> use it for uh, posting very much, but there are, there are people yeah, that, yeah. that I'm, I'm interested in, in hearing what they have to say. And, and you came across, I don't remember how, uh, I think someone had retweeted something you said, and so and it was, it was interesting to me. So I, I followed you in what began with you were on the West Coast, but you spoke very highly of a region that I've appreciated for for many years now, New England. So, just yeah. in, in your writing, you 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 write about the New England states with a love that that communicates more than just the abstract. Oh, it's real pretty over there, uh, <laughs> as we say. So, so just talk about what is it that draw that drew you at the time from where you lived in the West to, to, to that area uh, of, of Upper New England? Yeah, well, the easiest answer there is that I grew up there, right? I mean, I grew up in rural Vermont at the end of a dirt road. And like so many people my age and of my generation, you know, I was encouraged to, to leave. You know, that there's... Was the... Uh, the old Dr. Seuss line, all the, the places you go, right. all the places you'll go. Yeah. And so yeah, there's, there's a huge uh, pressure I think, for people of my generation, you know, people now in their mid thirties to have gone to college and uh, to get, you know, some white collar skills, but it turns out there aren't very many white collar jobs in Vermont or, you know, at least in rural Vermont, maybe you find that in Burlington and what have you, but in any case, I, you know, so I I went looking for those, and you know, it took me about ten years of being away to realize that I wanted to be back, and I was homesick the entire time because you know my family was back in Vermont. I had we had just had our little girl, you know, at the start of COVID in 2020, and I knew that that was uh, where I wanted to raise her, and my wife was on board. You know, she she loves history. She's a historian, and she loves the natural world, and it was a good fit. So that is really what drew me back, is that sense of home, that sense of community, the family, and the natural world. Mm. So what was the process like then? I know from experience going from one side of the continent to another is not an easy thing. No. So, so, so just to talk about your, you know, how did you go about 
your move from the West Coast to the East Coast. Now, of course, I, I realize you could say, well, I packed a truck. So that's not exactly what, what, what I'm asking here. But, but just your, you know, what did you do? And you, you say, I want to be back where I'm from. But you can't just snap your fingers. So, yeah. so, so, so there were things you went through. So talk about that. Definitely. Yeah, you're right, because it's not as simple as just packing a truck. Yeah. Especially after a decade of being there and now having a wife and a child and uh, having a decade of uh, accumulated possessions and things that you, know, you want to bring with you. You know, when I moved out there, um, I had, like, you know, my rusty old Super, super Forester and maybe $300 in my checking account. And I just drove across country and made it work. <clears throat> but, you know, when I... <laughs> when we needed to come back, yeah, it, it, it definitely was more complicated than that. One thing that was important for me and my wife was making sure that I had a job lined up uh, before we returned. You know, we really wanted to make sure that the income was going to be there. And you know, one of the benefits of COVID, as you know, I'm sure everyone knows, is that remote work became more of the norm. So I was able to get a job uh, while I was still on the West Coast that was back in Vermont uh, working remotely. And with the understanding that, you know, I'd, I'd be moving back. Uh, so my employer was really generous in that regard. <clears throat> so once, you know, once we had that lined up, um, <laughs> yeah, we packed, a, we packed a container or we packed a, a uh, one of those big 32 foot long trailer containers and had it shipped over and put everything in storage unit while we were looking for a house. Um, so the whole process probably took about a year and, you know, from getting the job and saying, yes, I will be moving back to actually then, you know, four months later, actually moving back, you know, in the process, selling our house on the West coast. And, uh, landing back in Vermont in April. So if you, so the timeline really is get the job in December. You know, in that process between December and April, sell our house, which was a saga in itself. Um, because that's also when, you know, <laughs> the Fed raised the interest rates too. So right. that, that made things a little bit more challenging. And then, you know, once, once we're back, you know, landing at my family's home with our daughter and, you know, my wife and uh, all of our stuff in a storage unit, you know, trying to figure out what the next step was in terms of us buying a house or renovating the family home into a larger multi-family home, which, you know, that could have been fun. Um, <laughs> but, you know, of course, there are no tradesmen now, right? Uh, <laughs> so we, we did find a, a, a little cottage uh, nearby uh, my parents about four miles away and it was truly a blessing to be able to just grab that and you know put a aggressive offer on it because again you know as you know there are very little housing out there so we, we had to be aggressive in everything we did you know, from ag aggressively sell our house, aggressively buy a new house, you know, <laughs> choose a moving company, all these things. There was, it really has been a year of just like sheer, uh, I, I can only use the word aggression. Just, you know, it was such a high impact, you know, just 
bam, 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 bam. You just had to keep going and make these big moves in everything you did. So that's really what the process was like. And I was, uh, and my little girl handled it really well. She was, <laughs> she loved packing up all the things into the moving truck and, um, you know, waving as our car got carted away across the country and everything else. And oh yeah, we have a cat. We have a cat too. So uh, huh. you know, we flew him across the country and he did great during that. Uh, he only had one accident and everyone around me seemed to not really mind. So. It was all right. <laughs> uh, good. Quite the process, and then we're there a year later. We just acquired a cat ourselves about almost six months ago. And oh, well. it's been an act. So I, I was the most concerned about that, uh, somewhat because of allergies, but also uh, j- just because I did not know what it would do to, to, the, to, to the general mood of our home. And she has significantly, I mean, the mood was not bad before, but she has lightened it even more. And so it's really, I would not change anything about it. It, it, Just something as simple as having a pet. So they add a little bit of movement to the landscape of a home that I think is important. You know, some friends and I, years and years ago, uh, rented a house for Thanksgiving to, or, you know, for like a Friendsgiving kind of getaway. And, uh, and nobody had a pet. And I was like, what is missing about uh, this meetup? What is missing about this house that we have for this weekend? And I realized that there was no animal there to add a little bit of dynam- dynamism to the movement of the whole scene. So, yeah, I hear you. They, they definitely... You know, give us more benefits than we realize. So part of what I've appreciated about your online persona is that you don't involve yourselves, yourself in spats, in arguments, but instead you display radical gratitude. Just <laughs> gratitude all the time, which which I know does not come. No one, I would say, is naturally grateful, and I'm sure you don't feel grateful all the time. If you do, please go ahead and sell that secret because people will buy. But how do you? So how do you cultivate that gratitude? Because it is a. It, as we talked about earlier, b- before we started recording, it's it's not your your following is not something that you have tried to, to build or, or grow, <laughs> but people appreciate what you say, and part of it is your 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 regular expression of gratitude and calling other people to it. So so to talk about how do you how do you cultivate that? Oh my goodness! Um, well, you're right. I think that there's, yeah, you know, there there wasn't really a intentionality about building the following. I'm, mean, you know, really a pretty average guy at the end of a dirt road, um, who just deeply loves his family and his home. Um, so how do how does one cultivate gratitude for those things about the natural world, about one's home, about little traditions and everything like that 
I think part of it is going out and observing them, right? You know, we. I think part of part of my following on Twitter right now is uh, every morning I, I go outside and just write a brief reflection about the seasons and about where we are in the, the year about what's coming and things like that so right now you know it's the 16th I'm writing a lot about the solstice and how the lights returning and how the days are the darkest they are gonna get all year right now right we are in the in the approach to the solstice there's just this absolute darkness you know come four o'clock in the afternoon where I live so being able to be outside in the natural world and to just observe it, to really perceive it, to be thinking about it deliberately. And, you know, that's not just walking through the woods and being like, ah, this is, as you said earlier, it's real pretty out there. But rather an intentionality of thinking about what you see out there and what it might symbolize to you. You know, there's about a week ago I was thinking about the large fir tree outside my house and how it really embodies the sense of evergreen endurance not only in the winter when it's frigid but in the summer too and how it does not change and so there's a lesson there how we can embody our own evergreen endurance and how nothing really truly dies and so going out and reflecting on the natural world I think naturally lends itself to that gratitude you, you speak of and it helps that I'm in such a beautiful place you know Vermont is a strikingly beautiful place it is a place where the natural world is being actively conserved and the environment is being kept up by the people and the policies here and that is you know that's not an accident right that doesn't just happen um, uh, accidentally it's it's a very deliberate choice by everyone here so that helps you know how, how does one maintain gratitude it it helps to, you know it's it helps that I'm not constantly bombarded by you know pollution or light pollution or noise pollution or ugly things and I mean to a certain extent um, I have to kind of criticize myself here that you know it's it's incredibly easy to be grateful when you're constantly surrounded by things that are easy to be grateful for right <laughs> sure. but, but probably everyone or I'll say at least in the United States. I, I can't speak for people in other parts of the world, but but in, in the U.S., everyone, even if you don't have it in your backyard, there are there is beauty you can immerse yourself in somewhere nearby. You know, if it's in... Mm, that's you know, fair. For us in, in South Alabama or southern Alabama, the, it's called the Wiregrass region. So they don't have the same terrain in, in, as that we do in North Alabama where the, there's a lot more uh, hills 
and such. But there is a type of beauty that's there that is different than what's here. Now, look, I, I'm much more a mountain person. I love mountains and hills, and so so that 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 draws me. But but I think part of what you're talking about is giving that you give yourself to the beauty around you. I I think that's fair, right? And, and I think you're you're onto something there because it is intentional, right? You do have to intentionally cultivate that sense of wonder, that sense of sense of optimism, and choosing to be to be grateful. You know, one of my one of my buddies on Twitter likes to say that, you know, this thing is good, but like all good things, you have to choose it. Right? Yes. It's and so. You know, like, just like out west, right? You know, the Seattle region constantly gets uh, lambasted in the media for you know having that very visible homelessness crisis, and you know the traffic's terrible, and uh, the housing's unaffordable, and everything else. And yeah, you can choose to look at that, and those are real problems that need to be addressed. Um, but at the same time, you have you know, outrageous access to uh, public lands that. You know, you're, the state parks out there rival the national parks on the east side of the yes, yes. <laughs> the country. You can go to a place like Deception Pass State Park, and it's you know practically as good as Acadia uh, National Park in Maine. It's just you know there's uh, there is a a true intentionality and in, and in deciding what one focuses on. You know, you can either choose to be looking at the needles in the gutter. And you know, which you know, one should at some point and decide to do something about it. But if that's all you, what you focus on, then that's all you're going to see. And sometimes, I, maybe you have to look up. Right. Every place has decay. You mm -hmm. can find decay if that's what you look for. I'm, I'm sure that the people in Vermont are not more naturally grateful than the people anywhere else unless they cultivate it. So that, that, that is something that I, again, j just f for one who, who looks for the good and who chooses to be a, a, as much as possible a steward of the decay, trying mm. you, you may not arrest the decay, you, you may not stop it from happening, but you can still make a choice with what to do with your scraps. Do yeah. you throw them away or do you turn them into compost? Mm, yeah, there you go. That's uh, a, uh, an incredible analogy. And well, it's, it's not original with me, so I'm, uh, certainly I'm, I'm, I'm not going to claim <laughs> it. Uh, but, but but seriously, it's with our mental and emotional scraps we can choose to just whine and moan and complain or do what we can to to use those and, and, and combine them with other things and hopefully they will turn into, into good fodder for something better in the future. Yeah. And I think, too, there's, there's a sense of allowing yourself to see those things and allowing yourself to fall in love with a place right um when i was a teenager i don't know if i really allowed myself to 
fall in love with my home. Um, and it, you know, maybe took me having my own child to uh, allow myself to do that and to see that. So there's the combination of the realization of the good things around you, but there's also the sense that you need to give yourself the permission to uh, to truly see the beauty in anything you do. And that's not just the natural world, right? It, it can be your traditions of your home. It could be the elements of your home. And there are so many small things that you can fall in love with every day about your own place and the people there. But you do have to grant yourself permission to do that. And I think that's in part how I managed to cultivate the gratitude you're talking about. Well, you also have a substack, which I will post the link to that in the, the notes because I've enjoyed, as much as I enjoy your, your, your Twitter postings, Hate saying tweets, but yes. I know the tweets, the the X's, whatever we call them now. Right, right. That's right. It's not even Twitter anymore. That, that, that shows how, how, how up to date I am. But your Substack, you write regularly about just the things that you're thinking of. My, my guess is that some of this are, are, are those musings that you've written in the morning at times, yeah. or at least they, they feed into this. But I've, mm-hmm. I've, just, I, I've, collected several quotes from various Substack articles that you've written and so <laughs> all right let's let's they're, they're let's hear wonderful. the best oh, of no, no, the, the, let's hear the not, best of uh, old hollow tree Substack. <laughs> of course yeah well and even the your your your, your Substack name uh you know or excuse me your, your x slash twitter name old hollow tree i i, I love but well so, so one thing there's, that, there's a story behind that one. Oh, okay yeah, I mean, there's so I think, I, but we can we can talk about that later if you want. But there's a an old there's an old hollow tree at the edge of my parents' property uh, that you know that kind of serves as a gateway to the the woods. Uh, mm. It's on an old logging road, and um, so whenever you know we whenever I'd go into the woods, I'd throw a stone into that old hollow tree, and uh, yeah, it's first. It, in my boyhood, it, I'd say it was a game, but now it serves almost like a, a tally or a, a reflection or a meditation every time I do it. Hmm. And I think that you know, one day I'm going to, I'm probably going to outlive that tree. It is very old. <laughs> it is, it is, it is very dead. And uh, one day it will fall over. And I think that hopefully. It'll happen close to the end of my life, and I could count the stones in that tree mm-hmm. and figure out how many times I've I've gone into the forest around my home. Wow. Well, you said, and this is back in in October, uh, as will be evident by by the quote. But quote, do not this, and this is especially to to husbands uh, and dads. You say, do not shy away from the festive duties that can only be accomplished by a man a son, a husband, a father. Do not diminish into the living room to watch the game as your wife adorns the hearth with tiny decorative gourds alone. Do not skip the corn maze, the apple orchard, or the pumpkin patch. These are the hunting grounds, and your quarry is mirth. What is the role... So here, that's the end of the quote. So, 
That was, man, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank I, you. I'm serious. It, it really was. I mean, it, it grabbed me, and, and I think it'll grab a lot of the people who listen because there's there's a lot of wisdom packed into that. Yeah. So so, what is the role of a husband and father in cultivating mirth and joy in his home? You know, there is so much that only a husband or a father or a son can do, right? There's, I, in that essay, uh, which is called Husbands and Fathers, Now is the Time, and it's on my sub stack from October 16th, there, there's a, a mischievous nature, I think, that, uh, well, first off, there, this is multifaceted, right? You know, I think that, um, first off, there is that kind of rakish, roguish, mischievous nature that a man has, you know, when the holidays roll around, and it really starts at Halloween, and it goes into Thanksgiving, and it comes through Christmas, and the solstice, and all these things. And, uh, you know, there's, I think we can agree, and I think everyone, it, it's almost, it's one of those things that it's really hard to talk about or write about, but I think everyone knows, and it's like that, that mystique of a father who gives you, like, who offers you a knowing wink at the dining room table as he slips the dog you know, a, a scrap of food or, mm -hmm. you know, plays a joke or slips something into your stocking or hides something on the Christmas tree or plays a trick at Halloween. There is something about fathers that lends itself to this kind of roguish, mischievous elements surrounding the holidays that I think can only be accomplished by a father and that might be because it is a juxtaposition of one's normal traditional role right you know no matter your politics or your religion or anything i think there is a a certain role of a father that you know is a little bit more serious and a little bit more authoritative and disciplinarian and everything else you know maybe maybe you can try to get away from that but i think that it's ultimately something that is inherently true about fatherhood and so when the father when the when the holidays roll around and you juxtapose that role with outrageous joy <laughs> with mischief with you know playing little jokes here and there and sly winks to your wife near the the hay bales and the corn mazes and all those things you do embody something that is a little bit magical and powerful. Yes. So that's the first part, you know, that that piece, that that sly knowing wink that you know all the fathers can give at the dining room tables, something I wrote about in that. But also there's this other element of you know of hospitality, right? You know, we 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 think so much of hospitality as a mother's role, as a wife's role, uh, these things. But there is something inherently masculine about the concept of hospitality. Whether you look way back into like old Nordic myths, um, or something a little bit more recent, like 
the ghost of Christmas present with, you know, the Christmas Carol come in and know me better, man. Uh, there's, there's this powerful, strong energy that husbands and fathers need to be embracing during this time. And it, it is that swinging the door nearly off its hinges to welcome people in. And, you know, that is something that we are so close to losing. Yes. Um, there's this incredible, incredible book uh, by Washington Irving. It's short. And anyone can get it. It's on Project Gutenberg. Uh, so it's free. But it's called Old Christmas. Yes. And it's... um. His that. travel journey. You you love this book, okay? Yes, yes. It, it's in his for... his larger. It, it's also contained within his, his larger um, sketches. Yes, uh, the, the sketches book. So, so go ahead. But there's um for your listeners who may not be as acquainted with it. You know, we all know Washington Irving from Sleepy Hollow and all that. But this is a travel journal where he went to England for you know just a, a, a little bit, a little vacation during Christmas time and. Uh, he gets kind of swept away into he he meets up with a friend who sweeps him to his like ancestral estate where his a you know kind of eccentric noble aristocratic father is very intent on keeping the old christmas traditions alive and who has like you know gone into researching these things but there's this point in the book that where I feel like that sense of hospitality, but also fatherhood, kind of gets... It mingles a little bit, right? And he writes, It was really delightful to see the old squire, that's the name of the, uh, of the father, this, this nobleman, the old squire seated in his hereditary elbow chair by the hospitable fireside of his ancestors and looking around him like the son of a system, beaming warmth and gladness to every heart. Even the very dog that lay stretched at his feet as he lazily shifted his position and yawned would look fondly up in his master's face, wag his tail against the floor, and stretch himself again to sleep, confident of kindness and protection. There is an emanation from the heart and genuine hospitality which cannot be described, but is immediately felt and puts the stranger at once out of ease. I had not been seated many minutes by the comfortable hearth of the worthy cavalier before I found myself as much at home as if I had been one of the family. And that is something that I feel like every father and husband and son really needs to attempt to embody, right? That sense of cultivating your home in such a way that your strangers, your family, your neighbors feel at home around your table near your hearth in your hall whatever you have and it doesn't matter how humble your dwelling is this applies to you and you know again it can really be embodied by anyone of any gender but i do feel like fathers are really at risk of losing this, right? There is a sense of, you know, uh, oh, you know, my wife wants to go to the corn maze. Oh, my wife wants to go get the Christmas tree. She wants to decorate the tree. Uh, and I don't know how we got there. I don't know if it was a gag in 
you know, popular media. I don't know if it was something from a previous generation. Like, I don't know where this disdain of, you know, some holiday traditions was adopted. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's specifically for men. You know, I, I remember like being in line at a grocery store and uh, just chatting with the guy behind me and asked him, like, yeah, what, what are you up to? What's, what are you looking forward to? It's, it's nearly Christmas. Oh, well, you know, the wife wants to get a tree. You know how that is. Yeah, I know how that is. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's right. the highlight of my year, man. That's right. <laughs> it's like I love going to the tree farm here with my wife and child and picking one out and arguing with her about one. And I love trying to get one that's a little bit too big and too tall and too fat for a house and her reining me in every year. It's a pantomime that I play out, and I think it's important and fun and beautiful and I like you know decorating the tree and decking the halls with boughs of holly literally and uh, welcoming people into my home and having a big bonfire on the solstice and trying to embody that ghost of Christmas present and uh, just, you know smoking meat and cooking food and all these things and we are, there is this kind of, this sense of like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be part of that. I'm going to, I'm going to watch the game or whatever. And I don't know, I don't know why. I don't know how we got there. Um, but we got to push back against it. And I think that's right. important. Well, a, a, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, we, we can't make everyone else. I mean, it, it would be impossible to make everyone else conform what we're talking about we, we can't make the broader culture stop doing what they're doing but by God's grace we can sure do it here <laughs> yeah I mean it, 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 it may fall away in other places but when when someone has and, and when, when someone cultivates this in their own home it is contagious as well i mean that that's the j- just like viewing the beauty out in the world this is a type of beauty and irving talks about it throughout that out we read that story almost every year before christmas it's of so when good. he's staying there because it just and, and people can say well he's he's exaggerating i don't care I mean, whether he was or not, it does not matter because he is speaking of something that tugs not at the mind, but at the soul. Mm. And people, beginning with our our, our, just our spouse and our children, our our, our wives and our children need this. They need a little bit of, they need a self-controlled, I could get in trouble for saying this, but they need a self-controlled version of Bacchus sometimes. <laughs> there is, I know what you're saying. There is this sense of, you know, I do feel like a father can embody that joyful abandon, you know, that outrageous glee, that just incredible letting loose. You know, around the holidays, without 
without going overboard too, right? Sure. No. I mean, it, yeah, he can't be a th- a good husband can't cannot be a rake and must not be a rake <laughs> to every woman. No. Okay? But but no, toward his own wife. Hey, have you ever read G.K. Chesterton before? Have you ever? Uh, I have. Yeah. Okay. Yes, so so, so man alive is what I'm thinking yeah, of here. Right. Yes. Yeah. His character man alive when he is just go. You know he he dramatically proposes to his wife, but like she's not his wife in this fine restaurant. I mean, that that stuck out to me so much the first time we read it. And so that's... Now, I've never done anything like that. But I, I have to say, I, I, I'm, there's been a few times in our marriage where where Amanda, my wife, has uh, has said that I reminded her of Innocent Smith. And I can think of a few greater compliments <laughs> yeah, <all right. laughs> that I've received. No, I think if... You know, if your your listeners take away anything from this, I hope that the fathers out there in your your parish and everyone else, you know, is uh, causing their wives to be a little wary around the mistletoe this year and, and say, "Hey, wait a minute, I know that look." Yes, yes. <laughs> Long may it remain. Here, here. So good. Uh, another quote that that you. Uh, that, that you have regarding the importance of, of being deliberate uh, is, is this. And, and, and I'll go ahead and preface it. This particular essay, you begin by talking about how your wife apologized for not getting more things done. <laughs> yeah. And you told her that that's what this time of year is for. So here's the quote. The signals are all around us, imploring you to slow down and embrace the restful season between now, this is in November, uh, but between now and the solstice, when the light starts to return, the frost on the grass, the trees ripped down to their fundamental structures, the animals bulking up before a long sleep. Yes, the geese sing their departure, but the owls and foxes at the woodline implore us to stay, stay, stay in the clear November nights, end quote. Yeah. Why do we as people insist on efficiency at all times Gosh. and what is no. the answer for that I think I think you're getting to the heart of my writing here and that is we really yeah we really do need to attempt to embody the seasons a little bit more deliberately than we do now as to why you know why yeah why why do we attempt to continue to embody the you know that energy that we have in june all the way through december yeah, why do we do that i don't know i don't know matt <laughs> i don't know if it's something that came after world war ii or if it's just a you know a byproduct of electric light or you know that we can stay up all night or just modernity in general i don't know why but i don't think it's good and i do think that you know as the as the seasons change and you can you know really start feeling it around the the autumn equinox right the autumn equinox you've got 45 days to halloween and then from halloween you got 45 days to uh to christmas i think yeah um or the solstice too and uh, we we do try to just keep that that energy going all year long and it's so 
bad for us. You know, you can feel it. Um, and you, you know, maybe it's at work too, right? Like, where at this time of year, you know, you're probably not going to start a new project, right? That's like common sense. You're not going to start a new project on Friday because <laughs> the 20 seconds going to roll around and it's not going to be done and then you're not going to get to it till like the, the 2nd of January. Um, but more so than that, there is this sense of just, you know, everything around you is slowing down, right? You're, the insects have gone to sleep for the whole winter. Some of the geese, some of the animals are leaving, some are staying but hibernating, there's all that. But the trees too have just, like, like you read, you know, stripped themselves down to the fundamental nature and it is such a fundamental time of year and I wrote about that back in November and I said that November is the most fundamental month right because everything just gets stripped down to its core the trees do the land does and to a certain extent we do it starts getting colder the holidays are upon us we are tasked with so much we are just tasked with so much at a time when we really don't have a lot in us and it's kind of a time of, of judgment in some regards you know i think i wrote something to the effect of november is the month where you are stripped bare and put in a cloudless field and you are illuminated by cold starlight and maybe you are found wanting <laughs> maybe you're found sufficient i don't know <laughs> right. and i think that's what you know this time of year does to us it causes us to consider what is at our core what is fundamental what is actually important to us and attempt to embody that and I think that when we try to act like it's spring or summer, try to have that same energy, I think that's when people get sad and sick. Well, you know, the uh, in in for for us here, you know, at our church in Alabama, we 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 try to to embody the uh, the church calendar, and right now yeah. is the season of Advent, which traditionally is is not a season of giving oneself all out to celebration but it's a a a prepar a time of preparation but also uh, of even penitence and i say that not not to cast a dim shadow on everything but with what you were talking about, with 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 the leaves stripped bare, and with with with, I mean, there is a type of barrenness that begins, and that, for for at least uh, again, when I think of this, it correlates well with that time where 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 where, where one is preparing for this wonderful feast that's coming up. But beforehand, there is opportunity to, at a more slower pace, think about and ponder 
what you really don't have the time or ability to think about in August or in June or mm. May because right. you have to start kicking back up and getting things going. So it so so the natural season and the church calendar in this in this respect at least have some mm-hmm. some really strong overlap that I, I, I I've, I've not thought about that before. But but this does jump out to me as you were describing again j- just what goes on in the in in nature itself in in creation. So absolutely. So yeah, you talk. Uh, in one of your articles about the New England custom of putting candles in the window after Halloween. Yeah. So what is that for? What what, what is the, I mean, because I can remember my mother, we had an electric candle set that she she used to put in the windows after Thanksgiving. So I did not know that was a New England custom. What is that for? What does it communicate? Talk talk about that particular oh, yeah. tradition. Well, oh, this is this is a point of contention with some historians, right? And, you know, some some people will tell you that it, uh, it was a way for um, persecuted, I think I think persecuted Catholics to 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 signify a safe place for each other. I don't know the you know the veracity of that, uh, but. Um, this for me and what I wrote about it's they really do you know after Halloween it is just so dark right you know it's it's dark because the the year is dying but also we we do that terrible thing where we're shifting the clocks back and everything on November what's it November 4th we do that and so it's just dark by like 5:30 at that point so the village where i live people do they put the candles in their windows about that time of the year and i wrote that you know they really do serve as beacons for friends and neighbors no matter what the origin of these are and i i personally think it's just you know the origin of this is that it is a an act of rebellion right it's a it's they welcome everybody to knock and check in as they make their way home, but it's not just some precious or posh thing, you know, to put candles in your, you know, New England colonial. I think that there's something, there's, it's in some ways an act of defiance against the encroaching dark. You know, they, as the sun retreats far too early, you and your home become the beacon. Hmm. And that signals to your friends and neighbors that they're going to make it, and you're going to make it, and it's going to yes. be okay. You know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a promise. Yes. A symbol of hope is what I I'm think hearing. So. I think so. And, you know, there's the the tangible element of, you know, just lighting up the village and making it more welcoming, but... I do think that it's more symbolic than that. What are traditions in the Anderson household that you and your family 
really enjoy. So, I mean, just throughout <laughs> the year, what, what are the three top things that you look forward to? So, so you told us about getting the Christmas tree. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that, and, and here I'm not talking about, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes, the, the, those, yeah, yeah. The, those are wonderful. But what are the things that specifically that you all do that you just look forward to at whatever time of the year? Three things. Yeah. Oh, man. So two are kind of going to be the same answer. We always have a big bonfire on the solstice. And that's, you know, part of that is because my wife and I both love history. We love, you know, we're both of European descent. Um, and I, I think a lot about my Celtic ancestry and our Germanic ancestry and all that. And so we think about all those really old traditions uh, surrounding the solstices. And for us, you know, in the summer, yeah, June 21st there, uh, the summer solstice, you get, uh, you've, <laughs> the year is now going on the downhill. So we light a huge bonfire and have some kind of feast, right? We always have a, you know, usually smoke a brisket or pork shoulder or something like that to, um, you know, kind of say goodbye to the light and know that we're now on the downhill. Or I guess I guess it's more like walking uphill, right? You know, you're 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 walking up to the to the winter solstice at the point. The days are getting darker. Everyone loves saying that, you know, oh, the summer solstice, yeah, the summer's finally here, right? The finally, it's it's here. Like, well, kind of. It's actually halfway done. <laughs> right. You know, you uh, so you at that point we're we have a fire with our family to kind of say goodbye and to know that we're now kind of entering the indoor time of the year um, in summer guards, right? It's, uh, you know, you still got plenty of summer left, but, you know, you're on the long march to winter at that point. Right. And likewise, we have a big bonfire on the winter solstice. You know, we're going to have it on this upcoming Friday, actually, the 22nd, um, with our friends and neighbors and family to celebrate the days getting longer. And that is a... I don't know how it is in Alabama, but here, that is a point of celebration because it is a tangible thing that you can measure. Right? At, at this point, the sun is set at 4 o'clock. Mm. And, you know, come the 23rd, the 24th, the 25th, Every day you're getting another minute. Every day you're getting a few more seconds of that daylight until, and, and you know you're on the downhill. You're you're, right. you're 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 walking downhill at that point. It's just it, the year feels like a hike sometimes. And right now we are on the approach to the summit, and we are about to come back down. And it feels so good. I keep telling my wife that if I can remain holly and jolly until the solstice i'm gonna make it <laughs> i heard something yesterday that, that really it was a, a podcast about just about christmas celebration and and the man said that historically you can trace the further north the culture is in the northern hemisphere the stronger their christmas celebration will be <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, right? You know, whether it's, you know, some of, and maybe it's, yeah, some of that's 
from the some of those pre-Christian traditions like the Yule Log and the right. Boar's Head and all those things that Washington Irving writes about um, that we still hold on to, which are good, right? You know, it's uh, they are those are good things because right. you're still celebrating that light uh, coming back, and maybe you're celebrating the you know the promise of Christ returning or or being born or anything. It doesn't really. There's just so much good about that time of year. So yeah, for us, the tradition is, is having a huge bonfire and a feast. So uh, on the 22nd, we'll be sledding, we'll be feasting, we'll be having a bonfire out there, and it's going to be good. The other one, uh, the third one, I mean, jack-o'-lanterns are so important to my family. And again, it all comes back to light, right? It's when Halloween rolls around. You are halfway. You look at the calendar. You're halfway between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice, and so that point is another marker of the year where you need to be bringing the light into your home. Right? It's getting darker. Right. It's it is dark. It is getting darker, and you need to be lighting the way. Right. And and part of that is doing this incredibly eccentric thing, this amazing tradition that, you know, I think some Irish immigrants brought over to Canada and then it was adopted in New England. And we we put candles and pumpkins and it's just this insane thing that we do that everyone agrees is a good thing. And it is just... Again, so eccentric and joyful and beautiful at a time of year that is not joyful and beautiful, right? right? It is getting darker. The trees are losing their leaves. It's getting colder. You have to be ready. Your wood has to be stacked. And yet, we put a candle in a gourd. And it is just so absurd and beautiful. And I love it. I love that juxtaposition between the dark and the light, the joy and the sorrow, the life and the death of the year, and it is just so good to do that thing. Yes. And, you know, it also has the, the other benefit of, of making the children happy. And that's ultimately what it all comes down to is, you know, these, I love this dark half of the year. You know, that really kicks off at Halloween uh, because you get to beat it back right as a husband as a father as a mother it doesn't matter like you get to be there and let the children know that it's gonna be okay that's it's right. like yeah it's darker yeah it's colder yeah the bills are piling up like it's a stressful or it's a more stressful time of year but at halloween at christmas we're just constantly bringing the outside in we're bringing light outside we're doing all these things that brighten up our halls and our hearth and our home and the outside and the inside and it just all of it feels like an incredible act of rebellion to me and it's just uh, that, again what you said earlier that incredible hopeful defiance yes and that so those are the three big ones saying goodbye to the light welcoming the light back in and really just being defiant against the dark
we can't stop the dark from coming. No. But we can, as you as you just said, we can give ourselves to supporting the light that we have access to. And again, these are all incredibly, you know, and and the way I frame these things, they're tangible in some ways are very secular, but I hope that, you know, your listeners, your parish, all that can see the reflection of it in their own faith. And so much of what we do with these old customs is reflected in your faith too. And it's just such an easy allegory to make. Well, this has been really fun. I, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I wish we had a lot more time than we do. But, but Ryan, I, I appreciate you taking time to talk uh, this morning. And so I will certainly, uh, I encourage people to, if, if they're on Twitter, to follow you on or Twitter or X. Excuse me. I'm going to start remembering that. Oh, and boy. then your, your sub stack is echoes from an old hollow tree and your his most recent one is on snow days and (laughs) it it probably put into words why it explained why i personally love snow so much but never fully was able to express it so ron thank you very much for joining us today matthew thanks so much it was a joy The Good Life Podcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy one of our other podcasts, Got a Minute, featuring Larson Hicks and Rich Luss. Theology, philosophy, economics, politics, and more for normal people.